0: And so tonight, just specifically looking at how do we engage the culture? From a biblical lens, how does Jesus teach us? When we say things like, well, I want to love well. Um, this kind, some of this language actually was not language when I was growing up, so when I was in college, we never said, I want to love well. That was not really the language that we used. We never used the words, I want to press in never said that so some of this is kind of moved with the culture but I'm really more concerned language aside what do you mean by that when you tell someone you want to love them well what do you mean by that and when you tell someone you want to show up in their space and hold space for them which is a lot of popular language in some of the most popular books right now what does that mean Like practically speaking because the Bible actually doesn't tell you to love well the Bible tells you specifically what love is and what that looks like in real life so when you say I'm free and I want freedom for you neighbor I want you to be free like I'm free so I'm love I'm evangelizing to you I want you to be free like I'm free that means nothing to your lost brother and sister they believe they're free so why do they need you to tell them that they're free they want freedom so I just want us to have bones and foundation and slab when we go to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. What does that really mean at the bottom, at the baseline of who we are? I don't want to just use pretty words that our culture has shaped and our, and our church age has shaped. I really want to go back to the Word of God, so I'm going to start. Look tonight, if you are in this house and you are a Christian, this is going to be incredibly painstakingly for some of you toe stomping tonight. Like your, you should be bleeding when you leave here tonight. I just, I'm setting you up in, in, for real because i've been bleeding with all week preparing this is oh my goodness lord i need to repent of so much i need to confess so much don't you even think i'm about to start talking about homosexuality without teaching us how to be humble first not even about to talk, to engage. How, why would, how in the world would we effectively engage someone who is struggling in a way that we wouldn't have never even maybe experienced or felt or understand because of our background without humility? We cannot just blast into culture and say, you're wrong because the Bible says so. That's not enough. That's not enough anymore. It's not enough because we have Bible coming out our ears. We are the most privileged, the most gospel-privileged civilization in the world. We're so privileged in the, in the form of resources and podcasts and teachers and Bibles, and we have everything we can hear from any. And what's happened to us in Western America, Western civilization, 21st century Americans, is now the gospel has become commonplace. And we think we can just say things like, because God said so. Or because that's how I grew up. This isn't enough anymore. It never was, according to Jesus. But we've been riding on this for a long time. And so before we can engage the world, engage the culture, our hearts have to break. Our hearts have to break for our pride. To think that we really know much about anything or to dare to think that we know someone's life and heart. We don't have access to those places. It is a beautiful freedom that we don't. But it will require incredible, sacrificial, mind-bending humility on our part if we are to truly engage the culture for the sake of the gospel. I have so many words to say tonight. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And and I I guess I just need to stop and pause and say, I, I just, I pray for you all week long. So when I come in hot and heavy on you, I want you to know it's after five, six days being on my face, fasting and in prayer for you, for you. You are not just some random girl. You are my sister. You are my person because you are here in Bryan, Texas, in 2022, in this place with me right now. So God has made us one in this moment in time. So I see your face and I think of you. And this is out of love that I unleash on you tonight and it is out of deep deep personal conviction of my own pride and i only see i only see in us what i first see in myself so i'm not telling you anything that i don't see in myself okay here is a great horrible truth <laughs> a great terrifying truth is that god will not bypass your humanity to display his divinity It is a great and terrifying reality of living in the church age. He will always use a human instrument. So therefore, we can be the ones that draw in or push out. We can be the ones that speak death or speak life. We can be the ones that give hope. That things can change, that things can look different, different, or we can be the ones that create an atmosphere for doubt and fear. And no, we are not responsible for another salvation, to be clear. I'm not saying that in any of this, neither is Jesus. You're not responsible for whether or not someone believes what you believe in Christ. You are not responsible for others' feelings. I say this all the time in therapy. It's the one thing I say over and over as a counselor. What would happen, like I'll say to my client, what would happen if you were not responsible for this person's feelings in this moment? How would that change your response? So I'm saying that all the time. We cannot make anyone do anything. Please don't say those words anymore. May we remove them from our language. You made me feel. No, they didn't. No, no human can make you feel anything. You choose how you feel at any given moment. People can set you up to trigger something from your past that you have not dealt with and that you have not fully trusted God with, and therefore it's coming up to present itself to you in God's love. It is coming up to present itself to you to say, deal with it. And I'm going to use this person as a, quote, trigger until you do. How about that? That's called biblical counseling. It's not something a lot of people are signing up for. Here's what we are responsible for. We're not responsible to make anyone feel anything or do anything. What are we responsible for? We are responsible for what we know. James 4, 17. If anyone knows what they ought to do and they don't do it, it is sin. That is about as plain and simple as it can be. So we are responsible for what we know. So if I know that someone is struggling in their marriage, am I gonna go and beat them down with my words and say, you need to get your act together, what's wrong with you? No, because I am responsible for the fact that I know this person and I know they're hurting and I'm gonna guard them and I'm gonna care for them and my words are gonna be kind and gentle because then that's on me. How I respond to that situation is now on me and the more I know about a person the more I'm responsible for not just in human level but Jesus level divine level eternal level the more I know about God the more I'm responsible for and for me to know what I ought to do in my Christian life and not do it it is my disobedience it is me not believing it's not somebody else's fault Here's what I know, and here's what you know. Ecclesiastes 3. What has God put in the heart of all human beings? According to Ecclesiastes 3, what has God placed in the heart of all mankind, Christian or non-believer, believer believer or unbeliever? What's the word? Anybody know it off the top of their... No? God has placed eternity eternity in the hearts of all men so what does that tell you that the way he looks at every single person is equal he has designed every human person for heaven to live eternally with him to back it up first Timothy 2 he desires that all be saved Not just this group of people, not just that group of people, but that all people be saved. Now, we are responsible for that that truth. I'm telling you, so now you're responsible for it. Sorry, not sorry. I've given you now the responsibility to know that all human beings are of equal and eternal value to God. Therefore, they should be to us. Human beings are not different species. We are all of equal worth and value to our creator. We are all created beings together, and we all know, we all know that there is something more for us. And we all crave this, right? We want it. And so now, let's look at how Jesus shows up on the scene, 30 AD, and he says this again. It is not that the Old Testament did not have this information. The Old Testament will say many times over to love your neighbor as yourself. Will. And it's been twisted and it's been tainted by years, um, as we talked about last week, how different translations changed, how the, the church leaders, how the church even distorted some of the language in the Bible, and they brought in different books and texts. And so they, they added to a lot of the words. And so Jesus is coming back to say, I'm repeating really what you already know. And I am also fulfilling everything that you know. So everything from the Old Testament is now being fulfilled in the words of Jesus. Now, you can turn in your Bible, if you have it, to Matthew chapter 12. That's where we're starting, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is kind because he transitions these... Remember, there's 400 years of silence after the prophet Malachi, and then we just kind of catch up to... Jesus is on the scene, and John the Baptist has been saying, a Savior's coming, a Messiah's coming, you better believe him when he says he is God in the flesh, and Jesus shows up, and he's the first one to ever say, the first human being to say, I'm the actual indwelling of your creator. I am actually God. And so, of course, people are like, what? You know, this is not at all what we expected, first of all. And... He begins to slowly transition them from what they know and kindly, honestly, to this kind of new kingdom that starts with the heart and moves out because the way that the historians and the church and the religious leaders and the Jews have been existing with all outside external behaviors, what you do then changes you in here. And Jesus showing up, no, 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 it's actually never been that way. It's always been that it starts in your heart and your mind. That leads you to faithfulness and you're never gonna get that on your own so I'm actually gonna die and I'm gonna take all of that for you you're never gonna have to earn again you're never gonna have to earn your your worth or your value or your love ever I will do all of it for you and if you will just believe that you will be so free But he does that by doing a lot of healings. He does a lot of external things. He does healings, um, miracles, because he's transitioning them out of Old Testament age to New Testament age. So he knows he's got to use a lot of the external, kind of the old principles to help him move into the new kingdom and to show them this is reality. This is the new reality. And so this is what he's doing when we catch up to Matthew, Matthew 12. He's been healing, and you've got the Pharisees who are the religious leaders of the day, and they just giving him a hard time like the Pharisees do that he's healing. And so this is the response in Matthew 12:34. You brood of vipers, and I didn't even give it the gumption that I know Jesus did right there because that's almost—I mean, that's not profanity level, but it's almost—it's not pretty. And it's an exclamation point in the original Greek, so I know it was big. You brood of vipers like he was not having it. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Okay, pause to go. Look at there. Good and evil. There's an absolute truth. There's a black and white. There's an and an and. You see it two different we've been talking about absolute truth and how do we know one from the other and what is really good and what is evil and Jesus lays it out and says you actually there you can be a good person or evil and what he is correcting is the fact that the Pharisees the way that they were treating people Gentiles mainly people who were not Jew The way that they were treating people is as though they had an infection, and they were right in that, because sin is an infection. And so they they got it partly right, but they actually believed that if you avoided certain people in certain places, you could avoid catching the infection. And so that's how they were treating people. And this is really, really what infuriates Jesus. Is that they're treating sin as though something that they can catch if they get too close to the wrong type of person and so he's calling them out he's saying look it's it's out of your heart number one in your notes sin is not outside of us to be avoided but inside our heart to be confessed This really messes with our culture, too, because we live in a culture that constantly pushes us to look inside of ourselves. (laughs) And and Jesus wants us to look inside of ourselves. He wants us to think about our heart, what we really believe at the bottom of it. But you see, our our world and our culture, they stop short. Because when you get inside yourself, what you really, really see is a big, fat sinner. Sinner. and and what our our self healers of the world your self-truth of the world your self-love of the world is hey when you get to that point you just own whatever you find there you take it you that's your truth it's who you are and you just thrive in that you flourish in that be the best you you can be based on whatever that is but that's nothing you're telling me nothing what how does that help me at all I get to the bottom of myself and I find all of the things wrong with me. None of this helps me. And this is what Jesus is saying. You, and you actually need a new heart, is what he's saying. <laughs> you need a new heart. And you can't do that work because you're mortal. So you have to let an, an immortal. You can't do this because you're not perfect. So you have to let the perfect come in and do this. You need a sacrifice. You need blood I will do this for you because our heart we won't find the solution. We're not going to find the solution to our fear or anxiety or depression when we look inside. We're only going to find the cause. And and just hanging out with Christian people it's just working in the symptoms. If I have cancer and you are just treating my nausea how is that gonna help me I need you to to treat the infection and that's what Jesus wants to do because he said symptoms are gonna differ from person to person in my mind this is so dumb that I think it this way I literally see bluebell ice cream and i've said this before and denise knows cuz she always buys me rocky road don't mess with me and my rocky road i will always want rocky road there's never a time i'm not going to want rocky i don't want chocolate i don't want vanilla my flavor that i prefer is rocky road and it's never not been true and so i'm very aware that we all have our different flavors of sin we do We always have have the thing, we have the thing that that meets the need, that rewards us, that feels good to us. And Jesus will go on to show show us what some of those symptoms are. If you want a complete list, well, they're all through the New Testament, but you get a pretty good dose right after the Beatitudes, right after the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 7, 8, 9, he will go on to say, if you have any of these symptoms, you might want to go to the doctor. And some of them are anger. Lust. Divorce. Promise breaking. Retaliation. Getting rich. Being anxious. Judging others. Mm. You see how that just, there's no group that I can avoid. I can't avoid the the Muslim group I can't not talk to the atheist I I, I can't um, not go to the prison because there's inmates there and they've done drugs I I can't avoid people with tattoos obviously that's not mine but that could be yours I can't because I am angry and I have lust And I have wanted to retaliate and see Jesus just he's leveling the playing field and he's so mad that we would see it anything different so we've got to start to this is the lens that I want you to see I know this is crushing and I love you and it's because I love you I want you to know this because if we are not just radically crushed and exposed in our own sin we will be prideful and arrogant In our approach to the sin of others so and (laughs) he's always going to use us this is what's crazy I told you he's never gonna bypass so even in your sin even in all of this stuff even in your brokenness he is still choosing to use you to minister to the hearts of others however we are not the only instrument being used in this world there's another instrument in his sovereignty that God is choosing to use to distort our minds and to confuse us and to tempt us and lie to us. Number two, God's plan has given Satan permission to exercise tremendous power in this world. In fact, the whole world lies in the power to the evil one, according to 1 John 5. The whole world. It's not any pocket that has missed his power. Ephesians 2, I was actually like this. I once walked in darkness following the course of the world and following the prince of the power of the air. I was blinded because that's what the God of this world does. He blinds the minds of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In his sovereignty okay I'm gonna say something and when I say it it's gonna feel very weird God considered it wise as a part of his curse on the world after the fall of Adam and Eve to give Satan a very huge power in this world not ultimate not ultimate but a lot now, okay, you see what I just did there? That sounded really weird, didn't it? That I would say that God in his sovereign authority would consider it wise. But if I say it's unwise, it's contrary to the rest of Scripture. It's contrary to everything I know about God if I say it's unwise or not good or unloving. And, and if you need more biblical proof that God is absolutely in control of Satan, I'm happy to give that to you. But if I see my life that way now and I look at other people and I, and I realize that our battle woo, makes me want to preach. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Oh, my goodness. Does this not set you free? Our battle is with the spiritual forces of the world. And so now I look at my unbelieving friends and I have incredible compassion for them because their mind is blinded, they don't know any different, so why would I expect them to? I'm gonna show up in their life and just expect them to wanna come to church with me? Because I say it's great and I love it? That's childish. Their mind is blinded, they have not tasted the goodness of God's word, and you know what, it took me a long time. I don't know, some of you in here, you probably have the day, You know the exact date that you were saved like you remember when god just woke you up maybe you were 10 maybe you were 22 maybe you were 82 i don't know but for me it looked a little different mine was kind of a progression and i can sincerely say i don't remember a time that i didn't not know that god was coming after me um i really felt that in like the nursery at at church But I was very rebellious. I certainly had a course of the world in my life long after I professed to be a Christian and and was going to church. And I would veer off course and I would do whatever the enemy was tempting me to do. And then I kind of veer back to, no, no, I want to obey. I want to trust God. What's wrong with me? Get it together. And then I kind of go back. And I had to get on my knees. I had to get through the absolute darkest day of my whole life where my whole world fell apart and everyone that I thought loved me was out it was me and God and I had to get on my face before him and I had to make a decision y'all I was in my 20s does that mean I wasn't saved when I was seven I don't think so but it means that God's grace had not taken me captive I didn't see it clearly and because I didn't see it clearly and I and and I was giving the enemy way too much power way too much power listen we gotta quit saying that our headaches are because the Satan's attacking us no you're not having a bad day because the enemy is attacking you you're just having a bad day because we live in a fallen world look at me you are stronger than the enemy why don't you believe that he is a created being just like you but he does not have access to the mind of Christ and you do that should you should wake up and go don't even mess with me today and you should get to a point in your life where he doesn't even try And I'm going to tell you, I am still tempted and I still doubt and I still have fear and I still struggle. But I will tell you, there are parts so deeply in me, he does not even mess with. He doesn't even mess with it. There's no use because I believe that I am stronger than him. I believe I have been given the power to resist him and flee from him. Now think of all that you'd be able to do in a day if you could believe that for one 24-hour period. That you could actually take your thoughts captive and think something else besides fear and anxiety. That you could actually make a choice to stay in your marriage even though he's being a jerk. Man, you could love someone that is so different than you so dramatically different than you that you could actually love them like really love them like love them because jesus loved you Mm. what are we going to do with this in light of sin in light of Satan what is Jesus asking us to do Matthew chapter 22 let's go there he's taken all of our sin he's taking all of um, the permission that he's given the enemy and he is not letting up on us not even a little bit look at what he's about to ask us to do because the Pharisees said you know what what do you want us to do here In fact, in 22, verse 34, you can bump down to 34 and 35. You've got a lawyer that comes, and a lawyer was um, truly that, a lawyer. But also probably, in some respects, kind of worked for the Sadducees or the Pharisees. They would hire lawyers, people really well-educated, people really well-spoken, to speak on their behalf. And that was the coward way, but that's what they did. So they most likely hired this lawyer to go and speak on on their behalf and he was for sure learned in the Torah and the Old Testament law and he asked Jesus a question and in verse 36 he asked him a question teacher which is the greatest commandment in the law so the lawyer is thinking about the Old Testament and all of the 600 plus ceremonial laws That were given to the Israelite people and he is saying which one is the greatest now the lawyer already knows that there's no way you can you can answer that because to pick one then vetoes the rest of them so you can't do that and so he's trying to trick Jesus and Jesus says to him but Jesus is very plain probably shocks the entire group that's that's within earshot because he says to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it." <laughs> Jesus probably like he didn't ask me for the second, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> oh my goodness! Here's the radical part. Are you ready? You got to know we don't know this in the church age but they are literally their mind was just blown on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets well everyone that just heard him say that was like what you just wrapped up uh, hundreds of years of us abiding the ceremonial law in two commandments? And Jesus is like, yep. And my death and my resurrection. will clean them up with a nice bow. But I also want you to hear what Jesus is saying. Is anyone in this room suddenly like, wow, this is easy. Yeah, I can definitely do this. I've only got two. I mean, surely I can do two. Come on. See, Jesus knows that this is almost impossible for us. Jesus knows that if we actually love God with all of our heart, so much so that we love our neighbor the way that we love ourselves because we love ourselves so much, he knows that we're already like, oh man, this is, this is going to be really hard. And he knows that if we love God that much, we are going to obey him. Like if we can love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, then we're just naturally going to obey him. We are naturally going to fulfill the law with him. But he knows what he's, he's asking. Now, I want to give you some clarifying points on this. Here, here's what Jesus is not saying. It's really helpful when you look at a text to look at what is not there. Jesus is not saying that we love our neighbor by seeking for our neighbor the the same things that we seek for ourselves. Let me give you an example. So, I've done a few mission trips in my life. I've been to Africa, Mexico mainly, um, as far as just poverty and third world countries and um, seeing radically different society and culture and economic status than what we see here in america and when this verse came to life for me i was sitting on a little cot in a hut the size of my bathroom in which a mother and her seven children lived on a dirt floor in nicaragua and Justin and I flew there. We, uh, you've probably heard of compassion international. We were on the Compassion international team at that time. And we were flying to just see what the compassion group was doing in Nicaragua and also see the family that we supported with our measly $30 a month. That's like four Starbucks for me in a month. All right. So I'm giving this woman $30 a month and I'm sitting with her and she's got a cot and they have a bucket for their water and they have another bucket to use the restroom and they're not wearing any shoes and she brings me in so happily and gladly and we're using a translator and of course I'm just holding back the tears and my breath is I mean I can't even breathe I just don't even know what's going on and I can't fathom um, how difficult I'm starting to go oh my gosh how difficult this is for her her poor family Her poor life and she sits me on her bed and we're using the translator and all the kids are around us and Justin is just like you can just see him the cowboy you know he doesn't know what to do with his hands but we're sitting there and she starts to show us the books that that our donation had helped for her children to go to school and she had a little pair of shoes and all the kids are smiling and they're so happy we're there and they're showing us their little toys and things that they have and they've accumulated and and all the kids left and it's just me and the mom and she's my age so I'm already just my mom heart is just going out to her that this is her life this is what she does every single day she just survives she just survives and so I'm already thinking oh I've got to do more I got to do more for her I got to give more and so everybody leaves and it's me and the translator and I said ask her ask her what she needs ask I can give her more money do they need shoes I'll send shoes I'm gonna get a mattress in here next week I'm gonna many mattresses whatever they need I don't know where they're gonna send it so the translator asked her what she needed just like I'd said and this lovely woman looked at me so confused And she told the translator to tell me nothing. And it was like this face of, why would I even, why would she ask that? We're just so happy to have them in our home. And the weight of this hit me. How dare I go into this woman's home and assume that she needs any more? Why, because I have it? Because I have a luxury car and because I have heated seats and because I have all the food that I could ever want and a roof over my head and designer shoes that she needs that to be happy and content and love her children well it was an offense to her and what I'm saying to you and what Jesus is not saying is you cannot think that loving your neighbor means that you go out and decide what they need that is not the way to love your neighbor what Jesus is saying is the way that you love yourself. The way, not with what. The way that you, it, the essence of, of which you love yourself. Do you love yourself with a lot of creativity? Do you love yourself with a lot of passion and energy? Do you pursue your happiness? Yeah, we all do. Every day number three in your notes make your own this is what jesus is saying make your own self-seeking the measure of your self-giving measure your pursuit of the happiness of others by the pursuit of your own so if you pursue your happiness with a lot of zeal and tenacity and time then that is the way in which you pursue the happiness of others does that make sense Mm. Okay, so who is our neighbor? I had to really think about this and study the text. I know that sounds probably silly. (laughs) You would think it would just come to me. Who is my neighbor? Well, I mean, yes, logistically, my neighbor is the people that live next door to me. And that's no easy task. they're very different than my family very different but they're my literal neighbor but that's not all that's not my only neighbors who are my neighbors look at matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa. So we get a really detailed unpacking of who our neighbor is. If you just really study this text, it's really all you need to go on to help you clarify who it is that you're supposed to love. First of all, I want you to know that Jesus is correcting at the beginning because he says, you have heard it it said, and that's actually, he's correcting a text in Leviticus 19 that got very mistranslated. Leviticus does not say and hate your enemies. Old Testament never said that and so first Jesus is calling it out to say you have totally misconstrued the text God has never told you to hate your enemy so you've heard it said if Jesus was saying the actual words of God he would have said it is written but right here he is saying you've heard it said because he wants to clarify what they're getting wrong okay and then in verse 46 who are who our our neighbors well we gotta, if our neighbors are our enemies, who are our enemies? Well, we know from verse 46, if you love those who love you. So immediately I know there are people that don't love me. <laughs> and so if they don't love me, they probably don't like me. All right. Um, then we, let's see. Your enemies, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So these are people that are probably, you know, talking bad about you in some sense, snubbing you, judging you, talking behind your back, people opposing you. Uh, We know that they're not our brothers because what what reward do you have if you only greet your brothers? So these are people outside your camp. This is not your nucleus of friends. This is not your church your brothers and sisters of the family of God. These are people outside of the walls. These are your neighbors. They also are your enemies. They're still your neighbors. (laughs) They're people that this is very hard to pray for because Jesus is asking us to pray for them because he knows that requires a lot of intimacy and vulnerability and humility on our part. And, And these will be people that you find it very hard to pray for. And it's interesting, I want you to know that God the reason that he brings up the sun and the rain is just a mention and a note of God's common grace to all people. God gives rain and sun, we're just meant to say, practically speaking, God meets the needs of all people, and so you can at least do that. If God can send rain and sun on the just and the unjust and the evil and the good, that is just meeting the practical needs of all human beings because he loves them so much more than we do. And so it's just a nod to say you can at least go this far and and i'm gonna i'm gonna say this okay and i might be wrong because i've heard it preached i studied it so much this week y'all and i've heard it i heard it preached almost in polar opposites i could actually never find anyone that was like in the middle somewhere but this perfect as i am perfect You've probably heard it preached on two extreme paths. It's either been preached to you of you need to be perfect, so hellfire and brimstone if you're not. Or it's been preached there's no way to be perfect. Jesus is the only one who's perfect, so grace for that kind of thing. what if we could be perfect what if we look at this verse just in the context of the way that jesus actually means it in relationship to how we love to how much we love god and how much we love others and for the fact that he would say i just don't think that he would offer us something that's not possible do you know what i mean because he's not looking at our behaviors so what if sin is From one degree of glory to another and I'm working out my salvation. So there's grace for that, but that doesn't cancel my perfection What if the way that I love people actually draws me into the perfection of who Jesus is what I mean What if I just do it for a minute in the day? I don't know. I don't know. I might be wrong I'm just throwing this out there. Why, why would Jesus set us up for something that we actually can't experience The point is more important than right or wrong. The point is that to perfectly know him and love others, it's got to look like this. Theme text. So I think in your notes you have, let me look. Can I borrow yours, Tracy, for just a minute to see what I put there? Thank you okay perfect so you have James 3 you have James 4 and John 17 so what I've done is I've in bold you've got the really important text that I want you to remember and we're kind of combining all of these to get a big picture of how we mess this thing up as Christians of how we really don't quote love well or love our neighbor as ourself and you can look at these passages because here's what's beautiful James is calling out the Christians James is really quick to tell us how we do this. (laughs) Um, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder. Now remember, hate and murder, same thing. You covet and cannot obtain. You fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, hard stop. So I have sat in rooms where teachers will totally misinterpret this and say, hey, you got to cut yourself off from the world because look at this text. Friendship with the world. Is hatred toward God so anything that the world's about you can't be about but you see we can't (laughs) stop we can't stop there so if you look because if you look at James 3 what he just said in the same breath see they didn't have chapters and verses this is all one breath that James is talking here but if you look at James 318 a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace so that's our aim that's our mission I told you that before, like righteousness is one and the same with peace. We want to be at peace, we want harmony, we want oneness. That is what we want. That's how we love. But then we've got this passage that calls us out and then says, "If you're friends with the things that the world is about, you're going to make yourself an enemy to God." Okay, so we've got to keep reading. That's why I'm bringing in John 17. It's the whole picture. It's not just one little verse. So, in John 17, Jesus is praying to God, and listen to what he says. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So, right there, immediately, we know that it's not acceptable for us to draw a line with the world, because Jesus is keeping us in the world. But who is in charge of the world? Who did we talk about is the prince? Of the world who has all the power over the world you can answer the enemy Satan so just so you have some clarity of to love the world is to love the things of the enemy to love the things of Satan this is not a reference to human people we cannot separate ourselves or huddle in our little Christian circles and separate ourselves from the world. Because Jesus then follows it up to say, I'm not asking you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one who is the prince of the world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. All right, you see our posture? We're in it. And For their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only I watch this but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Christian, this is not about us. We have had our party the day that we were saved and gave our whole life to Jesus. That was your party. Now, all we should want is for everybody else to have theirs. And Jesus has said, okay, look, I'm sending you into the world. Not just on their, not, not just here, not just for their benefit. I'm sanctifying them in truth. I'm giving them my spirit to know what to say in season, out of season, with different groups of people. Not just for these, my disciples, my Christians, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one. I'm going to end on this very important note. our oneness with each other as believers is the harvest of righteousness the harvest of peace the inside of the church is the is the degree to which we will reach the outside of the church let me say that even better jesus is all about putting us right putting us right in relationship. That's where that James 3 comes in, 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This means that he wants peace in your relationships internally, in the nucleus of who you are, you, your husband, you and your husband, you and your kids, you and your uh, co-workers, you and your roommates. And then it moves out from there. But if we don't have the nucleus right, if there's not peace in here with us, what do we expect? You've got to write this, and we'll end on this point. Number four, I want you to see the number one tool that Jesus gives us to effectively engage the culture around us. I cannot say my words because I'm trying to say them too fast. The number one tool that Jesus has given us to effectively engage the culture around us, so that salt and light peace is the beauty of. And depth of our love for each other. You want to know how to love your neighbor? It starts right here. Because James will spend an entire chapter calling out the Christians Cleanse your hands, you sinners. He's talking to us. He is not talking to unbelievers. He is talking to the Christians. Purify your hearts. You're double-minded. You need to be wretched, and you need to mourn, and you need to weep over your sin. You need to let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The love killer is pride. The love answer is humility. And we are going to be totally ineffective to love our neighbor if we have no love for each other. If we are biting and devouring and causing fights among us, we covet one another, we want what the other person has, we look and we compare. Your degree of depth in your church community, listen to this, I really believe this I haven't always believed this I really believe this now the degree of your depth and your consistency and showing up and your authenticity in your church community will be the degree to which you will be able to reach a lost world I really believe that is what Jesus is saying I have made them one And that's what I want more than anything. They're one with me, they are one with one another, and they draw other people into that oneness because that's what they crave, because eternity is in their heart. And they wanna belong, and they wanna be a part of something greater than themselves. It's what we all want. So I want to, look, you know what we're gonna do? We'll just direct course because I'm not going to eat up small group time. I'm just not. I want you to talk about this right now in our small groups. So I'm going to pause. We're not going to talk about marriage next week. I'm going to finish this because it's important. So now you all get a pass to go on a date with your hubby, unless you're real hardcore Bible study, and you, we'll be right here on the front row together. I want to talk about what this looks like practically, so let me finish this teaching. It's OK. We can just roll. We have time because we have grace God will do what he wants to do but let me leave you with this challenge and this is something you can talk about maybe if you want to in small group Um, big church as I called it growing up Sunday morning church is not going to cut it you may come and get a great message like I do every Sunday and i hug a few people and i smile and see a few people but it's an hour and i'm in and out and i'm on to olive garden you know what i'm saying you may get inspired at church you may feel better about yourself you may learn something new but do you really think that's going to give you the beauty and the depth of community of authentic relationship it's not (laughs) And I, I really believe that what Jesus has challenged this has been, oh my goodness, it is just within the past ten years that I have grown to truly love church. I love my church community. But it's because I'm in community. I, I'm it's not this Sunday morning hit. I have people in my life on a consistent basis and I'm letting them into my life. I'm not guarded anymore. I'm not scared anymore. I have nothing to protect anymore. You can know whatever you want to know about me. And guess what? I don't need anything from you anymore. I don't need you to pet me. I don't need you to tell me it's going to be okay. I really don't. It'd be awesome if you want to pray for me, but pray for me in in my home, in my living room. Pray for me right now. I want to hear it. Don't just tell me you're going to pray for me. Come on, we got to get this we've got to quit being scared I'm going to show you next week I'm going to show you next week how we do this why we've got to do this because again the degree and the measure of our involvement consistency in deep authentic relationships is the degree that we will be able to offer the gospel to anyone else do you see and if it's limited here it's going to be limited stretch there it is hard this is a hard word so let me pray for us God I need you I need you we need you this is a hard challenging convicting word to even begin to wrestle with the fact that we could ourselves be sabotaging your gospel in any way to a watching world because of our fear of our pride of our comfort because we that we would believe that the enemy is somehow stronger than us or that your sovereign will doesn't guard us guide us that you are doing good in everything that we have experienced and gone through to use because you want the world to believe that you <laughs> are who that you say you are so i pray for peace i pray for peace in our hearts i pray for oneness in our community in our relationships Help us make them right, Lord. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to make right. I I can't even imagine the layers deep. Someone in here, man, they want to walk away. They want to walk away from the marriage. They want to walk away from the friendship. They don't want to ask the hard questions. And Lord, I just ask that you... Break our hearts. Break our hearts for our pride. Anything that would keep us from telling someone how much they are loved in you. Help us to see it so that we can deal with it. We love you and we thank you for this time that we can just talk about it openly, without judgment, no condemnation, totally honest. We all get to be where we are in this. None of us wanting where the other person is, needing something from the other person, needing us to see our opinion, our view, our perspective. We don't need that right now. We just need you. You'll show us all in a different way. When you want us to know, we just get to be present with each other and here, quick to listen, slow to speak. God, let us do that now as we get together in relationship. We love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.